right. We're back. We are back. We're back. This, this is Scott. Is, this is Ollie. And this is yep. episode, what are we on now? Diggity diggity 31, I believe. 31. Look at us. 31. Yes. Yeah. You, you, know, you know what's special about 31? I, I do. And I'm sure you're going to tell our listeners that don't. Ah, uh, we're back in our prime. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You know, I'm sure that it never gets old. It I'm just sure never, that it never the, gets old. The dozens of listeners that we have out there, every time I I point dozens. out a prime number, they yeah. are excited about it. You know, I was I was talking about our podcast to to, to my lovely wife uh, recently, and I was I was saying that in in a lot of ways, uh, it was like you're the straight man, and I'm like you know the goofy sidekick. And then I really I dropped, is that how you've constructed this? I have I have constructed it that way, and I I made this reference. She said, I, I said, uh, it's kind of like you know I'm the Jerry Lewis here to your Dean Martin, and she said that reference would be lost on almost everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, but I said uh, Abbott and Costello, and that <laughs> was even worse. <laughs> right. Right. Three stooges. <laughs> yes. Except for there, there, there's three of them. And this is just a That's duo right. Here. Oh, that's yeah. true. So you couldn't use the Marx Brothers either, which mm-hmm. would also no. be a really <laughs> deep, right. deep pull. That's a deep cut right there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I can sense that all of the, you know, 20 somethings out there are Googling Abbott and Costello. Like, I, I, I have a sense that they're probably just turning off this podcast because they're like, what, why should I listen to these octogenarians talk about old me? <laughs> <laughs> well, to to our credit, that stuff was while it wasn't popular during our our youth. That was the thing that was like occupied, you know, television, you know, cable yes. television that they were filling. Like now, it's all filled with reality shows. Before it was filled with black and white television yeah, of reruns. like reruns of Ma and Pa Kettle and yeah. Abba and Costello movies. And you know, I can't tell you how many Three Stooges, you know, shows I watched. Yeah. My yeah. three sons leave it to my, Beaver. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. we are like so old. We are so yeah. old. Yeah, but we are we we are meeting today to talk about I don't know something newer, like in the last like decade ish. Right? <laughs> yeah, it it has occurred within our lifetime. So yes, that is correct. It has it has cur- occurred uh, within the last twenty years. Yeah, and these are cross cutting concepts, and this is. Yeah, what our sixth episode on cross cutting concepts? I think. I think that's they, right. Yeah, that's and, right. And so, uh, if you're, I should, if this, I should look. I will. I will look at what episode we started with in case people want the full oeuvre of right. of, of Triple C. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, thank you. Triple C on SIB. Oh. <laughs> wow. I know. Let's just there. let's just stop the episode yeah. right there. Call it a day, please. Please. No. You know, we have well, we have hours of content today. Yeah, hours, hours. Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about systems, um, and and we're going to dig into that as a cross cutting concept. And if you're systems and system models, so that's I, I don't want to lose that part because that's a for me that's a big thing. Why is it a big thing? Because of the kind of work I do, right? Like I work in in geoscience education right now, even though I was trained as a physicist, as we all know, everything is applied physics. So I could do work anywhere. I don't have to stay in physics. I can, I can, you know, go into geoscience. That's not a problem. Um, so yeah, so 
I, well, we can talk about that in a minute. I want you to, I, I want you to set it up here. You were about to tee up the episode here by giving us a little background on what systems and system modeling is. Well, no, I was going to like frame the whole thing about the fact that we're talking about all of these and how they're cognitive gadgets, just in case someone like drops into this episode and they haven't mm-hmm. been to the others that mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about these are, as being cognitive gadgets, tools to help uh, see some of the bigger ideas that occur across different uh, disciplines and different domains of science. And, uh, you know, we have these, you know, the disciplinary content, but these are the tools that kind of help them see some of the big, bigger ideas that are threaded across all of them. And yep. so um, check out some of the other episodes where we talk about the, the others. Um, this is our second to last one. I think next week uh, we have uh, the, the, the energy. Energy and matter one. Energy oh, and matter. Yes. Well, you know, that is, I think that um, says a lot to why it's the last one, right? We've, mm. both been, we've both been like, well, which one do you want to do next? And it's like energy and matter is the last one. And there's probably a lot we can say about that. But yep. systems system models. So here's the, uh, here's the uh, next generation science standards. This is what they uh, say as the, you know, sort of the cross-cutting concept, the, the standard that we're looking for is a system is an organized group of related objects or components. Models can be used for understanding and predicting the behaviors of systems. Mm-hmm. So there you mm-hmm. go. <clears throat> there you go. So that's it. And, and just to take a quick step back, because I just looked it up, um, episode 25, Metaphorical Rabbit Holes, that is, our, that is the beginning of our cross-cutting concepts. So that's like overall intro to, to the triple C. And then, uh, and then we move into Poo Poo, the recurring character, uh, <laughs> which I just, oh, like, that's, uh, that's so, a good name. Such a fan of that name. Thank right. you, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so that's when, starting with episode 26 is when we start laying out the individual ones. So yep. 20, 26 through 32 will be the individual uh, cross-cutting concepts. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. That's, that's so there a you little go. plug for the show. Yeah. yeah. A little plug for the show on the show. Yeah. So if you if you haven't heard of science in between, you should check it out. Because uh, here we are. Because here we well, are. Well, Again. if they hadn't heard of it, then they're. Here. I know that was very meta. I was. <laughs> was that you being not, funny? Nothing makes a joke better than when somebody explains it. I think that's mm. that's the first rule of comedy. Well, I think you should just stay in your lane as the straight man. I'm not, I'm not convinced that I am the straight man because I, that is rarely the role I play, but okay. I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll try and work, work on that. I mean, I that guess be... I'm the straight man when it comes to dad jokes. Whoa. So Whoa. I wasn't even bringing dad jokes into this today and you went there, yeah, you went there. but we're straying, we're straying from, uh, our, from our, from our usual tightly focused attention yes. on the, on the triple C. So, yeah. So what do you, what do you have to say about systems and system modeling? Well, I, I would say from the from the standpoint of uh, I was thinking about this a, a good bit about like how how and where this stuff is taught, and I think there's probably some disciplines that are doing a, a maybe a better job of this than others. Um, I mean, certainly we see a lot of this in biology, right? We see a lot of system, you know, uh, discussions in terms of you know anatomy, physiology. Um, and, you know, we talk about like the digestive system and, you know, the, you know, we can just go down that, but all I, but I systems. wonder all the systems that we talk about, yeah. but, but again, I think this is, you know, kind of our approach or maybe our criticism with the, those, the, when we talk about those systems in such a way is they're not used as an, an analytical tool 
that system thinking is taught mostly from an organization or taxonomy, right? Mm. It's like, here are the parts, memorize these parts, you know? Mm. And I think that we do that, that happens in other content areas too. Um, you know, I think about earth science, that that happens a lot in earth science. It's like, hey, here's the solar system, memorize the parts of the solar system or, you know, the models. When you start talking about, you know, models and like how, like the, I mean, the water cycle, right? It's like, okay, like that's a, that's a, that's a model for explaining, you know, a, how water, you know, goes through different processes, but there's, it's not like, it's not the thing, right? I mean, we memorize it, but it's like, you're not going to go right. out there and like trip over the water cycle, right? It's not like, I, I hope not. Right. No, but, but that, it's that you could, you could get hurt. Right. You could, you could, you know, that, and, and you'd end up on one of those, you know, videos, those, you know, fail videos, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tripping, tripping over tripping the water cycle over, again. Look at you. Water. Yes. No, but like these are, they're, they're, they're not taught as, as tools for understanding, right? Mm-hmm. They're taught as sort of a, a classification or taxonomy as being fact, right? Which is why, um, you know, when that whole discussion of, you know, Pluto, you know, is it part of the solar system or is it not a part of the solar system, right? Because it was like, it became such a, um, a hotly debated topic because the ultimate thing was it was about the classification and not about the tool. Like, why do we have a solar system? Um, and why do we have that sort of concept it's because it's a it's a a tool for us to help understand things and what gets put in you know and it comes down to boundaries like where are the boundaries of this Mm -hmm. right and and that that discussion you know the utility of that tool was under under challenge because people were like well that's not how i memorized it that's not Mm -hmm. how i learned it you know and we love pluto pluto's our favorite planet and it's like okay well you're you're missing you're missing sort of like the the, the reason why we use these things in science. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, interestingly, um, like we're, we're physics people, right. In our, in our background. And um, so we do talk about the system in, in physics. Uh, you know, we say, what's the system, you know, what's included in the system. We talk right. about the boundaries of the system sometimes even. Um, but in many respects, that's this, the simplest version of what system is like, it's just sort of defining, you know, they talk about this specifying its boundaries. That's definitely a thing that physics does a lot of is saying like, okay, well, you know, we've got a, uh, I was just watching a lesson yesterday. Like there's a, there's a box in the back of a truck and you want to, and it, how hard can you slam on the brakes so that the, the, the box won't slam right. into the front of the, you know? And so it's like, okay, so what's the system? Well, the system is the box because that's the thing. And then, you know, so that kind of system stuff we do do in physics, but I, I agree with you. I think, you know, again, the utility of these things is understanding how to develop them as a tool set instead of just, um, it, it, instead of just creating boundaries around things that are then memorized. Right. Right. So, um, and that might so be I a think- fault with physics too, is that we talk about the boundaries. We're really good at talking about the boundaries, but we're not really good at unpacking the fact that we're creating a system and the utility of the system for, as a tool for understanding the thing that we're studying. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're really good at saying, okay, this is, this is the bounded area that we're going to talk about. Cause like in some problems, it's really good to say that, you know, we're going to f- focus on these two bodies in this, you know, system. But can we make, can we make a free body diagram of that? We, we could. In fact, I was making a free body <laughs> as you're talking about your truck example, right? I was like, <laughs> of course free body, you were. Free body <laughs> diagram. But, but, 
but again, it's, you know, we're really good at talking about the boundaries and we're talking about like, but, you know, free body diagrams himself is this is a way of doing this but we do it as oh it's a problem solving trick right and this is how we help to you know identify the forces that are at play here and i don't think we going back to the reason why we have these cross-cutting concepts is we don't say hey we're, we're doing is developing a system in which has a boundary and that and then talk about it as the overall you know theme across all of these guys right, right. this is another example and, of systems yeah and and that um you know, to your point that the, the system, like what, what a free body diagram is, is essentially defining a system and helping kids understand that, that that's a dynamic thing and that they also do the defining work I think is important. So, um, but you know, to, to jump up to, um, to what you were referring to a little bit earlier about solar system, right? So one of the big changes that we've seen in, in geoscience in earth sciences is that there's been a shift from the idea of earth science to earth system science. So that's been an explicit renaming essentially of that discipline over the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, uh, maybe more. And, and so one of those, one of the reasons for that is a recognition of, of the other part of what I think of when I think of systems, which is this much more complex notion of systems as being, lots of factors that are interrelated to create the phenomenon of interest, right? So if we're talking about the climate, the climate is a very complex system. Um, Unlike a box in the back of a truck, it's not easily bounded. It's not easily defined as these are the things. So what happens in systems and system modeling at that level is a very different thing. So free body diagrams don't work for the climate, right? It's just that kind of model doesn't work. So thinking about what it means to model a system on that sort of scale is different because you are still in the same way that in physics, you're, you're, you're cutting away the complexity so you can focus on the thing you're interested in. Scientists do that with big systems too, right? They, they remove some of the variables, they remove some of the complexity so they can try and understand the system. But that said, those big systems like the climate or like the plate system of the earth they can't be um, experimented on with with controlling individual variables because there are too many of them. And they're too interconnected to each other at the level of the phenomenon of interest, right? Which again is like the climate or the Earth itself. So it really shifts um, what it means to have a system, to think about a system, and to model that system um, because the system is complex and large, right, and only can be understood at that grain size. Whereas you know, one of the things we're great at in physics is reducing it to the minimal thing, right? right? You know, the famous joke about, you know, the, you ask a physicist a question about a cow. And the first thing he does is imagine it as a sphere with the mass, you know, equally distributed across. And so, you know, it's like, we're all the physics people are really good at stripping away that complexity, but that doesn't work when you get into big systems like the solar system or the earth or the climate. Yeah. So we, but there are places in, I'm just thinking about like, you know, we, we teach these discrete scu- subjects. So, you know, <clears throat> right. physics, right. earth science, and there's certainly some physical science concepts that get more into like, 
system, you know, thinking where there's lots of factors. And I think that, you know, we, we tend to strip away all of that, all that stuff, but when you start to consider like motion or fluids and all that, I mean, they're pretty complex things. We just try to reduce all the, you know, confounding variables and just like, oh, we're just going to set this over here to like get rid of air resistance and get rid of friction and all this or, you know, or treat it in such a way that it's, you know, it's something we could ignore, right? Mm -hmm. When in fact it's, you know, or treat it like it's it's something that's easier to to model, right? Um, Right. Well, and I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, And- I think the, um, you know, the difference for me is that the, at the level of, you know, like, again, the earth, um, you can't like, it's, it's not even just that, um, you could try and strip away that complexity. If you strip away the complexity, you have, you are no longer talking about the phenomenon of interest. Right. Right. So in, in your example, yeah, you can, you can say like, oh, well, let's include more of the, the detail of the fluid dynamics and understand the impact of that on say air resistance. Um, but even then that's relatively straightforward, um, thing to model, um, and to understand as a system, but systems are, you know, going back to our cause and effect, uh, episode of triple C, um, when we talked about like what, what, that there are different kinds of cause and effect, what the system level, you have a very different, kind of cause and effect happening than you do with the more simple systems that we talk about, even in the most complex situations in, in most of, of physics and chemistry. And, um, so I do think, yeah, it's, it's a challenge for, um, for us to think across those boundaries in terms of the cross-cutting concepts, because how a physics person thinks about a system is very different than how right. an earth science person thinks about a system. And I, I, one of the things we talked about a, a, a couple episodes ago was that, you know, when we talked about stability and change, we talked about the transformation box, right? Mm-hmm. And, yep. Yep, yep. and this was a, you know, a colleague of yours uh, who uses this a lot in biology. And, mm-hmm. and I see that as being something that would be very useful for looking at systems, right? And looking at the, the inputs. And, and this is actually, you know, this isn't my idea, right? It's, yeah. it's a, you know, uh, we can share this in the show notes. This is something that uh, the Bozeman Science Site um, shares as sort of like a graphic organizer, which is very transformation box-like, which talks about, yep. you know, here's the boundaries of the system, you know? So it gives students sort of like a scaffold in order to like thinking about, okay, here's the phenomenon you're studying. What is, what is it? Describe it. And then what are the boundaries of, of, that, of that system that, you know, represents that phenomenon and looking at the inputs and the outputs and, you know, all the components and the relationships. And I think that's a, that's a really good tool that can be, you know, really implemented in a bunch of different content areas and a bunch of different places to help students think about this stuff. And it's very transformation box like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it it brings up this, you know, when we're talking about what students can do within the context of systems and system modeling. I mean, one of the things that I think is an interesting emerging area that we're starting to see more of, which is in the context of computational modeling, 
having students develop their own models. So, you know, what typically happens, um, and this, you know, going back to the, what I was saying before, the, the sort of work that I've done in geosciences, like we've developed data visualizations and simulations that are models that can help students think about these big ideas. Um, but we built those models, right? The students right. didn't, they can use them. And, and that's an important thing too. Like not every scientist built, builds their own models from scratch. Some do, some don't, but the point is, um, as we're getting, as computational tools are getting more and more available, um, at, you know, at, you know, more, more accessible, I guess, is more, is the better way to describe it. It allows, um, kids to start thinking the way that scientists increasingly do, which is to build computational models of phenomenon that, that they are trying to understand because you can build, multiple sets of rules in there that allow that complexity to exist. So, so the idea of what becomes a hands-on experience in science class is, is, you know, starting to shift into really interesting things. So it's no longer about pouring chemicals from one beaker to another or rolling carts down ramps. Now it's computer programming to, um, you know, to understand things that we couldn't do as a sort of hands-on quote unquote, hands-on experience before, because we didn't have the computational tools that, that scientists were using. Yeah, it's cool that you say that because one of my uh, friends, his, his son is really into like earth and space science. And I, he has been working in like these sort of like designing planets, right? And then mm. creating them, you know, in computer, you know, software and mm. then, get, you know, putting, you know, things in orbit around the planets. And, and he shares all this stuff on his Instagram. And the kid's like 16 years old. You know, this is kind of yeah. like his. And his, you know, hobby, right? He does this as like, you know, on the side. And it's so cool to see it. Um, and so, and it absolutely reflects what you're, ta you're talking about here. But this is something that he's just, you know, playing around with, talking about the, you know, the gravitational natures of them, modeling them mathematically, and then seeing how it works. And, mm -hmm. you know, in this, the, the, and what we keep talking to him about is like, hey, this could be a career for you. This could be something that like, right. you know, cause he's graphically representing this stuff and how it looks. And like, there are people on television who do this for like, whenever, like, I just think about all the Mars stuff that's happened, you know, where, you know, the, everyone's been Mars crazy lately because of, yeah. the, you know, the, um, the, the, what's the perseverance landed there. And then yeah. there was a couple other things that were in orbit, but there were a lot of the representations that were happening on television were because people were creating those. Right. And um, not so yep. much anymore because now we have like real data, but, um, right. but, but again, that comes back to what you're, you're saying. I didn't mean to like go down the rabbit hole of that, but um, it does, it does give the students the opportunity for that. I know in physics, you know, we've, we've sort of moved, there's been a movement in, in physics around modeling, right. Around modeling, mm -hmm. teaching right. physics, physics concepts, through modeling yep. um but it wasn't students i guess it was kind of helping students develop their own um models their own mathematical models but there was a right answer right it was like yes. we're working them it's it's kind of like a um a big way of getting them to verify you know the the equations of motion right it's yep. like hey look at that mm -hmm. you did this that. And it's Moment a different way momentum is conserved Right. Yeah. As long as we, you know, forget all this other stuff, right? Yeah. As long as, as long as <laughs> you forget all the stuff that makes it not conserved. But right. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But, but I mean, there, there has been a movement to teach it from a modeling standpoint and, yeah. it, you know, and, and I think that for some students, that's a, that's a really valuable way of, of learning it. Um, it's certainly better than having them me memorize, you know, 
20 equations and you know and then plug and chug them in and you know and yeah. draw those free body diagrams yeah but, but it, it does help them see um some of the you know the the cross you know the intersections between you know physics and 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 some of the the mathematical stuff that that happens in it and i think that that is an eye-opening experience for students because it's like, okay, well, it moves away from, hey, here's an equation, but that equation is now representation of something, right? And that's where yeah. I think the, the model thing comes in is that all of these are representations of, of things. But when they're representations as a cognitive gadget, mm. but as soon as it becomes the thing, right, then it's no longer a cognitive gadget. It's a, it's a concept to be memorized, right? And that's, right. And that's what <laughs> right. we went straight from. You know? Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about this um, sort of what's a model and what's um, what's a phenomenon. And uh, and so so this thing, you know, what you brought up here, I think, is really a, a critical piece of this that we don't think about much in science, which is to say, you know, we talk about Newton's laws. Right. So F equals M.A. And <clears throat> we think of that as somehow different than a simulation that is like an Earth based simulation. Uh, that looks sort of like the earth and allows you to study plate dynamics. And we say, well, you know, one of those is, is more true than the other. Um, but the truth is that F equals MA is a model. It's an approximation right. of the way the world works and it's useful and helps us understand things. But to think of it as true is, is where we start to stray into weird territory, right? Because, you know, F equals MA is not true in an absolute sense. It's a, it's a model for the world that we right. have. And it, and it, as we've said, it shaves away and approximates a lot of the complexity of the world when it does that. Um, and so to think that it's somehow deserving of special status, that it's, that it's better than I think is, is dangerous and, and teaches kids something about science that we don't want them to think, which is, is that science is this absolute set of facts, right? right. It, that, that it's not a process. That the it's big book not of facts. A, Exactly. Look it up in the big book of facts. So I think, yeah, I think this idea of really trying to help them understand that these are different kinds of models. F equals MA is a different kind of model. Um, and, and helping, not helping them understand that strengthens science. It makes, makes science stronger, right? Because it makes them understand that this complexity, uh, happens at all, all the way across the board. And that to your point, which I think is really central is like memorizing is not where we want to be. Right. right. Because, because if you, if you're memorizing something just to memorize it, you're memorizing something that essentially is, you know, going to be obsolete at some point. Right. So you, you, or, or is an approximation and can lead to, you know, misunderstandings down the road. If you think that that's the truth. So I think really thinking about how do we develop a much more nuanced understanding of science with kids. And, and I think systems and system modeling is one of those places where there is an inroad for science teachers to think through that kind of space, right. To say, okay, well, well, how do I really think about helping kids understand that, that when we're talking about something like the atom, we've created a boundary around stuff and said, this is a thing that we're going to talk about. And we're going to forget all the stuff that's outside the boundary, even though it is there. Right. Um, So I think that's really important. Yes. There's, there's so much here beyond just like, you know, setting up boundaries, identifying the, the system, but it's also communicating, you know, and it comes back to, 
epistemology, right? It comes back to, Ooh. I know, I know. And it seems like a lot of our conversations go back there mm-hmm. um, only because I think that um, what, how we teach science communicates how knowledge is constructed and how it's valued and mm-hmm. how it changes, right? And, and that's all embedded in the epistemology of science teaching today, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. And that what we've done is we've, you know, epistemologically taught students that science was fact and mm-hmm. that it was truth, capital T truth. Mm-hmm. And that these new, what we're trying to do is to, you know, better represent what science is all about, which is mm-hmm. tentative, is changing, is built upon evidence and constructed and that it's, it's always, you know, evolving based on our understanding, based on the tools we use you know, based on, you know, the, the evidence we can collect and, and that changes based on technologies and based on um, our understandings. And, you know, it's that, you know, not to, you know, quote our fr- friend of the show, Isaac Newton, but uh, yeah. If John Dewey can be a friend of the show, so can Isaac Newton. So, you know? Absolutely. Sure. Uh, friend of the show, Isaac, uh, he says, uh, I think he needs like a rapper name. Like, yeah, I was thinking that as you were saying that too. <laughs> But I don't know what. Wow, that's that's I, great. I knew, I knew. No, Izzy. I think it's Izzy. There's oh, got no, Izzy knew. Izzy knew. Izzy knew. Uh, yeah, or Izzy Newt. You know, but no, you know, no, Izzy his, knew's better. I know it is. Um, but that that I think that might be the title of the show in there someplace. Maybe Izzy Maybe. Newtone. Yeah. So, but the you know he always talks about or he always he taught yeah. his quote his famous quote is standing on the shoulders of giants right mm-hmm. and you know that's what science is all about it's it's a, about taking the things that have happened before us and collecting new data and ex- examining it in new ways and and right. that's based on technologies and and it's a tentative thing and that's the biggest you know if there's more than more than anything i wish that kids left our science classrooms with that with yeah. that idea that science is tentative, that we have things that we know, but it's all based in our time and place and what we understand. And that, you know, not that the stuff that was, you know, happened 100, 200 years ago was wrong. It was just mm-hmm. based on the understanding that they had at the time and the tools they mm-hmm. had at the time. And I think that uh, all of these cross-cutting concepts are, are strategies to help, to help them, help students and help us, you know, better build on that concept. And it just comes back to, you know, all roads lead to epistemology. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, yeah, I think you've made a really good point here about this. And and I think that sometimes people get nervous when they hear like, oh, you're going to say science is tentative. And now kids are going to start coming back at you and saying, oh, well, then, you know, what I read on the Internet is true, too. So the moon landing didn't really happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know there really are aliens in, in New Mexico or whatever it is. Right. And, and I think part of the point to understand is the reason to help kids understand the tentative um, nature of science is to your point, not to say that science is wrong or got it wrong, but to, to understand that is your job as a scientist always to be pushing on what you're, you're learning to, to see if it stands up, right. right? To see if it, it supports the evidence that's present to make sure that, that if it's, if it's a theory or if it's a, it's an idea that that idea is grounded in some kind of evidence and that you can see the evidence and reasoning that supports that thing. Um, 
and that is a, an incredibly important skill for people to develop about the way the world works, right? Is which is to say, not just to see, receive everything as wisdom and as you say, big T truth, right? Right. Because that is a dangerous place to live. Because then you believe every charlatan who tells you a story that sounds convincing, and and you don't say, wait a minute, what is this based on? Like what? what YouTube videos are you going to show me that are are about this, that are going to convince me, you know, I mean, it's just this, this idea that, that, that we want them to understand the power of the fact that science is tentative, not that that makes science weaker, that it makes it stronger. It makes it a more powerful way of, it makes it a more powerful epistemology, right? It makes it a more powerful way to think about knowing about the world, because because it is tentative, because it recognizes that it has its limitations. Um, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that it has limitations. Um, and limitations are are always there, right? Because there is no big T truth that way. Yeah. Maybe big T truth. It's, it, you know, it's the, the interesting thing is I was going to go down that rabbit hole like maybe five minutes ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to hold back, you know, because, you know, but, but I think it's, it, it's absolutely interconnected. It's can, it, it, the way we teach science is, you know, it's, it's about, you know, claims and evidence, right? And, and that if, if our kids just leave our classrooms with evaluating claims based on evidence, then I think it's a success. And if we ha- have them, you know, challenge what is counted as evidence and, and, you know, really tease that out and say, hmm, how was this information gathered? How was it uh, collected? How was it, you know, analyzed? Those are skills that will help them beyond like memorizing what goes into like the digestive system. Oh, is that part of the digestive system? No, like these, it's, it's a much, it's a much broader critical thinking skill that will help them in life. And, and I just think that, you know, there's a, you know, an information pandemic that we're in the middle of right now that I think is, is getting lost because there's just so much information that students and kids and adults are being hit with that it's hard for them to just, you know, and I think that the challenge for me, and I see this it, it, with, with my kids, is that if it comes in an entertaining package, right, if it comes mm-hmm. in somewhat of an entertaining package, yep. and it's somebody that you trust, or there's some trust that's built, built up for whatever reason, then, mm-hmm. then it, it, in a lot of ways, they don't examine the evidence or challenge the evidence or they just assume that the evidence has been gathered in a way that is is you know appropriate or that the evidence is even accurate and they just go yes that that the claims yes and it's like well hold on you know hold on let's just take hold on hold on for a second and for a second or or they they take these really complex systems Right. And just focus on like one aspect of the system, just like, you know, you're talking about our science and our system science. I'll I'll try to adopt that is that, you know, these are complex systems with lots and lots of variables. Well, they try to, you know, people try to do this in society, too, that these are really complex systems and they try to, you know, narrow it down to a single input or a single factor. Right. Without like, and that's, I think, another part that, you know, it's valuable for us to teach these things so that they could, you know, our students have a better way of examining that and teasing these things out. And that's the, the critical thing that is going to extend beyond our classrooms. 
Yeah. And it, it gets at this idea um, of, of like the boundaries, right? So right. what, what are yeah. the boundaries of the system and helping students understand that every time you're talking about something, there are boundaries and somebody has defined those boundaries. So right. if you aren't examining what those boundaries are, then they're implicit and they're there and you're, and you're, you're there, you're being, you know, they're, you're being taken advantage of in some way, shape or form. And, you know, one of the, one of the examples that, you know, that, comes up for me when you're talking about this is, is the idea of, um, you know, people who, you know, who are climate deniers, right. Who deny that climate change is a thing. They're like, well, look at this winter. Like we've had a horrible winter. It's the worst, coldest, most snow winter we've had in ages. So this must be evidence that, um, that, you know, climate change is not really a thing. And, for those of you who don't know, I'll put it in the show notes, but there's a fantastic um, John Stewart uh, segment on this called about the snowpocalypse when, I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago now when Washington, D.C. had a huge snowstorm and and they were calling it the snowpocalypse. And, um, and the, you know, one of the gags was like, oh, this is finally evidence that climate change isn't really a thing. And they it spins off in, in hilarious and, and excellent directions. But this idea of, you know, going back to this system, these systems are complex. And, yeah. and if you only look at the one variable and say, oh, well, it's colder here, then that must mean climate change isn't true. It's like, well, you don't, you don't actually understand it then because the way that climate works is that as, as the climate, uh, as the temperature goes up, you get more moisture in the atmosphere and you get more extreme weather events, which means we're going to get cold winters, but we're also going to get hot summers and we're going to get more hurricanes and we're going to get more, you know, like the, the, the extreme of the weather events, like we're going to get huge downpours. So instead of gradual, beautiful sort of rain that, that helps feed our plants in our environment, we're going to get huge downpours that wash away, um, big segments of, of our, of our environment. And, and that's only made worse by the fact that we're, you know, paving over everything. So, you know, this, all these connected ideas to, to separate them and just look at one little piece of it, it does, it, it lets people, um, fool you basically, because if you don't understand what the boundaries of the system are, then you don't understand when somebody's pulling the wool over your eyes by giving you just, you know, a peephole version of what the truth is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about like how, how we can wrap this up and move away from like the sort of the darkness that, that we have here, because I think I, well, I think this is a, um, teaching systems and systems models can be a powerful strategy to help students, you know, sort of go against those charlatans, as you call them, the, yep. you know, these conspiracy theorists, people who are, you know, climate change deniers or whatever else they're selling, right? Is that, you know, this can be a way for them to examine, you know, the evidence and really take a look at the the inputs, the outputs, what the, what the boundaries are and, Beyond our classrooms, this could be a, a powerful strategy. Yeah, and it goes back to this idea um, again of talking about what is the purpose of a cross-cutting concept, and we've been talking about them as co- cognitive gadgets. So it's another tool that we can provide our kids when they're a- thinking about phenomena, right? So, so when they're thinking about any phenomena, whether it's in physics, chemistry, biology, doesn't matter, earth and space science, or system science. Um, to, to remember like, okay, what are the boundaries of the system that we're talking about and what are the inputs and outputs into that system? Like that is a productive tool gadget to have in any context in science. And so this idea that this is what we're trying to develop and 
And going back to the theme that we keep talking about, which is, well, the way you develop that is that you explicitly talk about it across grade levels. So, so we need to be thoughtful about how do we th- talk about systems and system modeling, and how do we do that in a way that students can draw connections across these disciplinary areas and understand both the way that they're using them in a particular domain, but also how they're, they're a cognitive gadget that cut across all the domains. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, we're asking, we ask a lot of teachers, but I think going back to this idea of how performance expectations work, like you shouldn't be doing every cross-cutting concept in every lesson, like that's insane, but you want to be thoughtful about, okay, I'm designing a lesson. How do I think about a cross-cutting concept that's relevant here and focus on that one or in this whole unit, I'm just going to really focus on systems and system modeling, or I'm just going to focus on cause and effect or whatever it is. And that tightness of focus allows you to, to develop those cross-cutting concepts and come back to them multiple times during the year so that they can, students can see them even within your class, how that thing plays out in multiple, uh, you know, multiple parts of your domain. So I think we might have shared this in an earlier episode, but there's, uh, you know, someone's developed, and I don't, I don't know who this is, with prompts that you can use to for science talk. I, it's uh, William Penuel and Katie Van Horn. I guess this was, mm-hmm. you know. Bill uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I, th- I think in the, the document goes across all the cross-cutting concepts, but the one that I, I, I think that the, the, some of the questions that they share for the systems and systems modeling is, uh, is, is great. So let me, let me sh- I, I'll share some of the broad categories because I think this is interesting. So they talk about what are the components and interactions, and they give you a list of questions there. What are the boundaries? Help them tease out the boundaries. But then they talk about feedback loops and uh, flows of energy, matter, information, also really cool. But then this last question, last series of questions that they include is really awesome. And they talk about uh, limitations, assumptions, and approximations. And Mm -hmm. that is, I think, so powerful with what we're talking about here is for them to see, you know, really to challenge, you know, what, what the utility of this system, right? And that goes back to, you know, I guess it circles back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, but I think that it gives, you know, you a list of prompts that you can basically apply in any content area. It's like, well, I, you know, how did the assumptions affect the reliability of the model? Boom, done, drops mic. You know, that's a, that's a really powerful question to ask students when you're mm-hmm. talking about things like the water cycle. You know, it's like, okay, this is, this is a question we should ask. And I will say that I've never heard that question asked, no, right? When, when absolutely you know, not. The water cycle or any, like the nitrogen cycle or any of the other cycles, right? Those are models, but we never are going to ask them that question, you know? And no. so these are really, really powerful. So, you know, kudos to, you know, the folks who developed this because, and we'll put that in the show notes because they're, they're, they're great, not just for, you know, systems and system modeling, but also for the other ones as, as well. So, Yeah. And science nice. talk, that's, that's a thing, right? We should do yeah. that in science. Maybe talk about talk, science, you know, yeah. I don't know. Talk. friend of the friend of the show, Brian Brown encourages us to think about science talk. Yeah. A little so, bit. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. So, yeah. So yes, we'll do that. We will, we will talk about science talk more, but we are done for today. I think, I think it yeah. is time to bring joy, bring joy to the episode. And, and I'm, I want to hear from your joys. Do you want to hear my joy? I do. Okay. Well, this is a, a, I'll say this is a little bit of a, 
selfish joy. So this is not a, you know, usually the joys that we share are the kinds of things like, you know, like, Hey, here's a show that you could watch, or here's a podcast you could listen to, or here's an activity you might be interested in or a game or something like that. Um, but that's not what I'm, I'm not sharing any of those things today. I'm sharing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm giving you the permission. I appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate you you allowing me some flexibility in, in, in this, uh, in this important area of our podcast. This is the, I think people will fast forward to this part of the show. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Well, it's the best part. Yeah. Um, so what I, what brings me joy, uh, is something that just came today in my email box, which was, uh, we, my, my friends and colleagues, Ron Gray at Northern Arizona and David Stroop, who's at Michigan state. And I, wrote a paper that I really like, and I'm really excited about. And we just found out today that is going to be published. So that is bringing me joy today. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It is about, uh, it is about the relationship between the theoretical framework that the researchers take and the way that they position pre-service teachers as either as asset or deficit. Um, wow, that so, is great. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm really happy about it. I'm proud of it. I think it's a nice piece of work. And, uh, and, uh, so I just, you know, it's bringing me joy and, and I can't say, you know, publishing papers doesn't always bring me joy. Sometimes it mostly just brings me relief that they're finally done and, yeah. and out, but this one I'm genuinely happy about. So it's going to be in studies and science education. I don't know when it'll actually be out into the world, but, um, like three years but, from now. Yeah, probably. But, uh, you know, it's, it's brought me a little bit of joy today. So I'm just going to share that one. Well, congratulations. That's an awesome achievement. And my joy has, uh, is so far from removed from that. It's, it's amazing. Perfect. That's excellent. It, uh, I am going to say that the joy that's something that's bringing me joy right now is the Breville smart scoop. Um, if you're not familiar with this, please, please tell me more. So the Breville is Breville is a company that sells like kind of top end, you know, yeah, I'm uh, familiar. I'm familiar equipment. with their work. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they sell, you know, waffle makers and, you know, but the smart scoop is an ice cream machine. And so of course it is, it is. And, and I will say that I was thinking like uh, that later on today, I'm going to probably make some ice cream because I've been making ice cream, like throughout this whole pandemic, it's almost like on a weekly thing. The kids love it. And uh, I guess I jumped on this, you know, this, this habit, this hobby, uh, maybe about like maybe 10 years ago. And I first got into it with, you know, the, the mixer, the little ice cream thing that you could put on the mixer. And I just was, you know, little by little started getting more and more complicated and that, you, you know, the, the functionality of that was limited. So uh, I had won a season of fantasy football and mm-hmm. I took the wow. money, my, my winnings, I took wow. my winnings and bought a Breville smart scoop. Now, if you're going to Google it, please understand that this was a winning, my, the, my winnings, right? Cause this I is a, see. So what you're saying is it's pricey. It is a little pricey. It is a little pricey, probably more than, you know, a lot of people would spend for a, um, an ice cream machine, but it's something that I use every week, at least once a week, if not multiple times a week. And the, and the great thing is that it's, uh, it's, 
so there's so much about it that's awesome but but i but one i think it supports this this hobby that i get so much joy out of and that i can create new things and and have my my kids try things out and and i i will say that what we found in our house is that like i make a lot of you know i i thought i'd like make a lot of gelatos you know because you know Mm -hmm. the uh, italian background and your heritage and my heritage you know the homeland but um but I find that I make a lot of French French custards. So the custards mm. are only because of the fat. Con- yeah. And so the, a lot of my recipes are use a lot of egg yolks only because of the mouthfeel that I, I, I feel like I get from that. But the smart scoop, what it lets you do is you, you have settings that you can go from like sorbets all the way to gelatos to ice creams. And, and it's just so awesome. It brings me joy every time I use it and I love it. And the Breville smart scoop is awesome. So I'm going to just uh, say right. joy. I I feel like in addition to the webpage where we have all the joys, I feel like we should now have a webpage that just has Ollie's favorite ice cream recipes. Uh, I, yeah, I have, I, I've been expect, so I will say this is something that's brought me joy lately about not to go down the ice cream rabbit hole, but I've been working on fruited ice creams for years and like, you know, like a strawberry ice cream or a raspberry ice cream. And then I, I read someplace that freeze dried fruit is the way to go because what happens when i make ice cream is that it gets really icy um because the water content in the fruit um Mm -hmm. and and what i started i've been starting to do is do some freeze-dried straw the freeze-dried strawberries was awesome but it was the it was really the the hit wow all right yeah the raspberries not so much because they were really seedy but uh the strawberry one was awesome it was really really good and so yeah so so that's your little, in addition to the joy, you get a little tip, which is if you're you making tip. ice cream at home, freeze-dried yeah. fruit. Freeze-dried yeah. fruit. And you can find them at, uh, at Target. I went looking for them. So there you go. There you go. That's so, tip number three right there. Wow. Uh, it's dead. telling you, man. Yeah. I, that's, a lot, that's a lot for our, for our listeners that they got from this. They get, they get an academic paper that they can't read for at least right. three years, and they get an awesome recipe. <laughs> well, not a recipe yet, but tips about how to make ice cream that they could sure. implement tomorrow if they're willing to buy a Breville Smart Scoop. Yes. It, or if they have that, you know, the mixer, the stand mixer, they could get that. Yeah. You know, or yeah, or they could just uh, you know get one of those wooden buckets and 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 a churner on top of it and put you know wow. ice in it and you know that's how I used to make that's a, ice that's cream. a lot of work or yeah. or that little uh, there's one that's I think you can you know roll with your feet you know there's oh, like yeah really? there's that, there, there's sense. a there's a thing out there that you could just put the the you know all the ingredients in this thing and then roll it around and I, I can't imagine rolling around for like two hours or whatever it takes. You know what I'm just thinking would be awesome is make it so that it was an axle for a bicycle and you could ride oh. a bicycle around with an ice cream maker in and then just, you know, get home, you get home after a long, you know, two hour ride, you just pop that front wheel off and you're like, look at that. It's ice cream. It is. That's, that's great. Now, be- I can, I can tell by the way you said that, that you don't mean that it's great. So it, no, it no, it I would, what it's I was okay. really thinking about was uh, I went to, uh, Burlington, Vermont, a few years ago, and they had a guy that was like sort of made his own ice cream, and he rode it around town in this on the back of a bicycle, and that you could go and and I was like, that that is what I want to do, you know. But wow! But here I, you know, I'm a podcaster with you, Scott. Wow! I can okay. dream big. I can dream big. Maybe I'll, yeah. maybe I'll, an ice cream podcast. Maybe that's a, another. Thing maybe that's a for. thing in your future, or maybe you're going to start your own ice cream company. Who knows? Ollie's ice cream. 
you yeah. could reti- you could retire from this this uh, you know podcasting lifestyle that you're living. It, in. It's 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 hard. It would be hard to step away from podcasting. You know? Yeah, I mean it's consuming so much of your time and energy that uh, you know. Yeah, but it, it does bring me a lot of joy. So the podcasting oh, with you, Scott, brings me a lot of joy. Brought it back. Brought I it did. back to the joy. That's how I roll. Uh, on that note. On that note. Uh, this is this is Ollie. And I've been Scott. Yes, you have been. And Thank this is you. Science In Between. See you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. In Between. In Between.